Welcome back to the All in a Homeschool Day podcast. We are wrapping up our Gifted Learner series, and today I'm excited that we have Colleen Kessler from Raising Lifelong Learners. And what she has to share with us today is so helpful and just such a breath of fresh air. So I know that you're going to be blessed by this episode. So let's listen in. I am excited to have Colleen Kessler on the podcast today. She is an author, speaker, and educational consultant who specializes in gifted learners and twice exceptional kids. And I am really excited to hear the tips and advice that she has for us today. So if you are listening with a gifted learner, you are going to be blessed by this podcast. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you, Crystal. It is a pleasure to be here. Why don't you start by giving us a little bit of your uh, background and tell us about uh, a little bit about your homeschool. Sure. Um, So I have a background, like Crystal said, in uh, gifted education. I started out as an elementary school teacher and I got my master's degree in gifted studies and I was a gifted specialist in the public school system for uh, about a decade and a half before coming home. Actually, it's funny because most people think that I came home to homeschool my own kids, but I actually came home first to freelance write full-time because I was speaking at gifted conferences and teacher conferences, and I was working with educational publishers to write books and resources for parents, teachers, and kids, and I really loved taking my educational background and the kind of tweaking I would do with curriculum for my own gifted students and putting that into bite-sized formats for teachers to be able to use so they could meet the needs of their gifted kids in the regular classroom. And I had a five-year-old and a new little baby nursing and figured that I would give that whole freelance writing a go so I could stay home, you know, live the romantic life of a writer where I'd write (laughs) during the day and send them off on the bus and you know, have cookies waiting for them when they got off the bus. And it didn't quite work out that way. My oldest, um, I was just joking with Crystal before we got on here. It's like the shoemaker's kids going shoeless. My um, oldest started having some struggles in school. And uh, we went through all sorts of assessments and different things, trying to figure out what was wrong and how we could make it work and um, what identifications we could give him to keep him in school and, and his needs met. And When all was said and done, uh, the psychologist he was working with looked at me and she said, you know he has a profoundly gifted IQ, right? And I was like, no, he doesn't. He's just who he is. Because I was so used to working with those quirky, smart kids that he was just another one of them. And um, so I missed it. I actually missed the giftedness in my own son and only saw the behaviors that make gifted kids a little bit of a struggle to live with and to teach in a regular classroom. So once we had the um, identification kind of staring us in the face and we realized that he was not going to be a good fit for a regular classroom, we did some searching for different um, options. And the only option that was going to work at the time was a, a small gifted magnet school that he was eligible for and he had been accepted to, but it was a 55-minute drive one way and we live in Northeast Ohio and I had a nursing baby and a toddler by then. And there was no way I was going to drive a two-hour round trip to get him to the school with a toddler and a nursing baby in the winter of Northeast Ohio. 
So kind of kicking and screaming, a little bit under duress, I ended up pulling him in February of his first grade year to homeschool him. And we have been homeschooling ever since. And that little baby is going to be 18 this week as we're recording this podcast. So we have been homeschooling for 11 years. And it is the best thing that we've ever done for so many reasons. It has made me, it has turned me into an advocate for, um, for parents who are um, struggling with the needs of their own gifted and twice exceptional children because it really is the best way to kind of tailor the education to their needs and make sure that every one of those needs, which are very, very um, asynchronous is the word we like to use in gifted education. They're kind of all over the place with a gifted kid. And so we have a unique opportunity to meet them wherever they are in all those various social, emotional, and academic areas and continue to nurture them and move them forward every day. So here I am now, 11 years later, I have four children, uh, 18, 18, 13, 11, and eight. And we are homeschooling in a really kind of eclectic interest led away and we're loving it. I'm so grateful for that pivot that we were forced to do that kind of paradigm shift we got forced into all those years ago because it's opened up so many rich opportunities for the kids and for me. So it's been a lot of fun. And I'm sure that uh, you've had the similar experience that I have that's been a character building experience for all <laughs> of you. And those, that asynchronous learning it can be a real challenge, I think, from the parent side, just to maintain your patience and your cool whenever they're what they're doing is uh, that asynchronous development manifesting, and you're thinking this is not right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yeah, it's and them. it's it is. It's just them. And for listeners who aren't sure what that means, um, it's kind of like asynchronous development is kind of the un, uh, unofficial uh, characteristic, like cornerstone characteristic of a gifted child, because we've got these kids who have a high IQ and they can also be twice exceptional where they've got some other kind of comorbid challenge, right? They've got a social, emotional, physical, educational, academic, whatever um, deficit or, or challenge that they're fighting as well. But the gifted mind tends to latch on to different things and perseverate. So it focuses and hyper-focuses in one area and then moves on to another and another. They're, they're kind of known for their depth and breadth of learning instead of their um, speed oftentimes, which is kind of the myth you get with gifted kids. Like you think that they just breeze through everything when in reality they kind of like sit and focus on things, which means other things get neglected. So they can be asynchronous, meaning they're many different ages all at once on an academic and a social and emotional level. And a practical example of this is my oldest, you know, now 18, when he was 12, he could sit and talk to you like he was an adult about all things science and math. He was behind in his reading and his writing. And socially and emotionally, he played better with six and seven and eight-year-olds and would be doing the exact same things they would be doing on a playground, throwing mulch, tripping people, getting in all sorts of trouble, and it would always be his 
fault because he was six years older than them. And why wouldn't he just act his age when in actuality he was acting his social and emotional age, but from the outside and especially from someone who doesn't get that kind of kid, he just looked like a troublemaker. And so with these asynchronous kids, yes, just like you said, you need so much patience because you're really dealing with a kiddo who's not developing in a linear fashion. They're all over the place, which makes it very difficult to parent them. And I think it's a challenge at times to identify where they are in their learning in the various areas so that you can choose the right materials or curriculum so that they're making that progress and being fed, but you're not pushing them in the areas where they're not ready to be pushed. And so um, I know my daughter has, she was very sensitive And so she could read several, multiple grade levels ahead, but I couldn't let her. And I had to preview everything for many years because if Mm -hmm. I let her read what she was capable of reading, then it very quickly went down the spiral of fear and anxiety and that could happen to me. And I'm like, no, no, it really can't. (laughs) And here's why. But she was not able to process that yet. So yeah, and every everyone is different in where they are in their development level. So it's not like we can even say, if you have a gifted child, go do this. Right. You have to be that a student of your child so that you can figure out what their needs are. Exactly. And that's the hardest thing I've I've often said, if anyone tells you they've got the perfect gifted curriculum for you, you need to turn and run in the other direction because they don't actually get gifted kids because there's no perfect gifted curriculum. And that piece that you were just saying, that's so common. Um, So many parents come to me, I don't even know how to choose books for my daughter or my son because they're so capable of reading. But you know, they, um, they, they melt down over the, the littlest thing. We actually, um, just this past year, created a packet, a free packet on the site um, for parents of gifted readers to kind of help them. Questions they can kind of ask themselves about any book to see if it's appropriate. Um, I can send you the link to that if you want to share That'd be that. Great. Um, yeah. But it's, it's basically because that's something that comes up all the time. I remember, and you never know, right, when those emotions are going to hit. I remember... Um, my youngest, okay, his name is Isaac, and when he was super little, he used to call himself Igus. That's how he pronounced his name. And my now 11-year-old is really, really sensitive. She has anxiety um, and sensory processing disorder, and socially and emotionally, she's just super-duper sensitive. And um, one day, just like it happens with all kids, he just pronounced his name correctly and he never said I guess again. And she came to me crying that day and she said, Mom, I don't know how you do it. How can you watch us grow up every year? He's never going to be my little Igus. And I can't imagine being a mom and seeing that with four children. I, I just... I'm so sad. And she threw herself into my arms and she was just sobbing over the loss of this little guy's mispronunciation of his name. And it was it was so sweet and beautiful. But she has those same reactions almost every birthday. She's a year closer to death. And she says this and she laments about it. And, you know, existential crises are common in this particular house. You never know what you're going to get here. So I always, you know warn people you're going to get some chaos when you come and you never know what the emotions are going to be doing. So just brace yourself. (laughs) So what has been 
one of the best strategies or tools or just ways of coping because I have heard the, the, the phrase that homeschooling is sanctification on steroids because mm -hmm. you are 24-7 with your kids. Now, you may have breaks. Hopefully, you have breaks because we really need them. But, <laughs> you know, the, the point is you're with your kids so much more and that it is just a challenge to manage all of this. So when you're adding in managing the emotions and managing anxieties or um, behavior issues, that creates even more stress that can be a real challenge for parents. So what advice do you have or strategies that you use that help you through that? Yeah, that's a tricky one because it depends too on where you are in your parenting journey, right? When they're little and you're the one home with them all day and dad's at work or you don't have older siblings to help you out, I mean, you really are their, their person and you have to be there. And if you've got a kiddo you know, like mine who has generalized anxiety disorder on top of her creative giftedness, you have to be there when the meltdowns occur. And so we kind of approach, so the first thing that I would say to any parent who is struggling with really emotional kids and asynchronous learners is you have to cut yourself some slack. You've got to give yourself a break, lots and lots of grace, because this is who they are and God doesn't make mistakes. So you are the exact perfect parent for these exact perfect kids. And every one of you is perfectly imperfect in the ways you're meant to be. And so you'll be growing as they're growing and you need to know that there's nobody else who could do it better. Even on your worst day, there's nobody that's going to do it better or parent them better or love them more. And so as long as you hold true to that, you can really get through anything. But practically, which I always like to give practical advice on this, um, you need to build from the get-go your family unit as a team because emotions are going to be different than in a neurotypical house. And um, triggers are not going to be triggers that you expect. In fact, something that was a trigger a couple days ago is never going to be a trigger again, potentially. And something totally new out of left field is what is going to be the newest trigger. I once had to do a, a post for somebody on my blog um, about uh, what is your like one thing you can't live without as a homeschooler? And I was doing it from the parent of a gifted kid's perspective. And everybody else who was in this like series was they were writing about like laminators and books and <laughs> curriculum and stuff like that because that's what they were focused on. But the truth of the matter is, and what I ended up writing about was the only thing that will get you through as a homeschooling parent of a gifted kid is flexibility. You have to be able to roll with the punches. You have to be able to pivot and you have to be able to throw things away if they're not working and try something different and be okay with things that aren't a good fit. And so that means that you're, you're building this atmosphere of team so that your child who has anxiety is the kid who the other kids know is a little bit more sensitive. And so their job is to help nurture and see when things are going wrong and then help build that up. And your kid who is an extrovert and really good in theater is being cheered on by the other kids. And they're not feeling less than because that one's getting starring roles in shows and they don't even want to get up on stage. And the one who likes to hold up in the room and be on the computer all day programming or editing video isn't seen as um, 
a loner and someone who doesn't want to be part of the family because everyone else in the family knows that that's his outlet and he'll come out when he's ready. And so celebrating, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I talk about this all the time too, is being a student of your child, but encouraging the other kids to be students of their siblings as well and and siblings of you. So they know when you have your threshold breaking point that you need a break. And so gifted kids intellectualize and want to understand the whys and the hows behind everything. So if you're having a rough day and you can say to them, I'm having a rough day, all this noise is really getting to me and it's making my anxiety feel a little bit high. So I'm going to go take a half an hour in my room. I need you to be quiet and find something quiet to do. Here are the things that are off limits. Here are the things that are on limits and let them go. And then likewise, hear them when they say the same things. So there's kind of a mutual give and take and, and benefit to the um, the teamness of the family. We had an example of that today, just today. One of my kids, who's very sensitive, was in my arms weeping about long division because who hasn't weeped, wept about long division in their life, right? And my oldest came through the family room and saw me holding a dog and a child and just walked over and started rubbing his sister's back. Didn't need to say anything, knew that something had triggered the emotion because she's prone to emotion, knew that she always craves touch when she is triggered and was walking through on his way to get a cup of coffee before disappearing upstairs again, but stopped to rub her back and say, you know what, whatever's going on, it's going to be okay. Do you want me to take the dog out with you so you can get a run? I mean, just know, putting his himself in the place. And so give yourself grace and then become a team where you all understand what makes each other tick. I love that. We And, and something else that you said, uh, God does not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have said that over and over. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time for them to internalize that because often they feel like a mistake because Absolutely. they're just so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think it applies on both ends of the spectrum. I have yep. one who is a gifted learner and I have one who is very creative, but she's a real struggler in mm-hmm. terms of everything uh, academic. And so they're, they're night and day different, but they both at times have those feelings of just, I'm not right. And for different reasons, um, but just kind of keeping it focused on our gifted learners here, they, that I think is also hard when they start internalizing that. Mm-hmm. And so just helping them work through that and um, working as a team is uh, it is, I, I, you're right, key for surviving those days. Yeah. Well, like you said, they know they're different. There's so many parents I speak to that say right off the bat, I don't want to label my child. I don't want them to have a label. I don't want to call them anything. And I'm not saying you have to identify anything. Anybody, three of my four children are not identified as gifted, but I've worked with gifted kids long enough that I know they're somewhere along the gifted spectrum. So when we're talking about their minds, I'm talking about their minds as being wired differently than others around them and being creative and gifted learners because that's how I speak. And so calling a spade a spade, they're going to label themselves in some way. And wouldn't you rather have them label themselves correctly so they can know that this is how their brain is wired and they know that there are things they can do to help them compensate. You know, my my daughter, like you mentioned, 
Um, she's super creative and would be identified as gifted creatively, but she has dyslexia. She has generalized anxiety disorder and sensory processing disorder. That's a lot of alphabet letters after her name. And she, so she's twice exceptional and she struggles and she knows she struggles, but she also knows she struggles because she has dyslexia and she has sensory processing disorder and she has anxiety disorder. And these are the strategies we use for each of those things. So now when she can't read something at 11 years old, she just goes up to anybody at co-op, well, when co-op's meeting, and, you know, wherever we are and says, I struggle sometimes because I have dyslexia. Can you tell me what this says, please? And so by giving them the empowerment to advocate for themselves and the terms to use, you help them label themselves something other than dumb or slow or wrong. And so there is a value in labels, even if you don't have an official diagnosis. Helping them understand themselves is so key. I think it can be, labels can be a gift. I think an issue is that so many of us grew up in a public school system where there were kind of three three groups of kids. There were, you know, Mm-hmm. The average kids, the tracking, I mean, we're just, right. you know, we're, we're, we're in the classroom and then there are the gifted kids and they get to go do something special and they're the special ones. And man, I'm kind of jealous of them. And then you have the struggling learners and they go off to special rooms and get to have one-on-one attention. And so I think a lot of times, um, I mean, I was hesitant to use the term gifted with my daughter and not because I didn't want her to know that, but I was concerned that she would view it in a way that would almost be prideful or Mm -hmm. um, cause a problem from that perspective because one of her struggles too is just that um, social interaction and knowing what to say when. And so I was careful as to how we were talking about how she learned until she was old enough that we could kind of talk about, right? you know, the, the, kind of social issues around it. And I think part Mm -hmm. of that came too, just from growing up and knowing how people view those labels. But um, talking about it in just the sense of this is how your brain works. Mm -hmm. This is how you were made. Uh, you, You think deeply about things. And so we've described for a long time kind of like what you said, described how they're learning. And that has Mm -hmm. been really helpful for her. And it it wasn't until the past year and a half or so that I've used the term gifted with her when Mm -hmm. she could finally, I think, assimilate all of that in a way that would be socially acceptable. And I really, I am like, girl, you could go do whatever you wanted to do if you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, it didn't, it didn't click with her. So I think that was, it was, it was the right time for her and it was helpful for her. Um, so it can really be a gift. And I, th- I think also, like we've talked about, knowing your child and knowing what they need to know and when they need to know it so that it's helpful. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, even my, my struggling learner, just knowing that you're not dumb, but this is really hard. And she's had many times of saying, why is it so hard? Why is everything so hard? And it's like, you know, that's just the way God made you. Mm -hmm. So all of our learners. Well, yeah. And exactly what you just said, you know, that comes back to being a student of your child. You know when they can handle what they can handle. I don't talk to my eight-year-old about the way his mind works in the same way I talk to my 18-year-old. And my eight-year-old, truth 
hopefully probably has a higher IQ than my 18-year-old, and he's really high. I know his because he's the one that's been tested. And, you know, I don't talk to my eight-year-old about that, but we do talk about how you think versus how your friend thinks. And because I know what you're capable of, the choices that you're making right now are not acceptable. And I say things like, you know, you're a little bit more impulsive than others. So while it might be harder for you to not do what you're doing than your friend doing that exact same thing, it still shouldn't be done and you need to control your behavior and you need to work a little bit harder to control your behavior. So yeah, age appropriateness and knowing what your kiddo can handle at what time, but then always helping them grow into whatever it is because at some point they're going to be an adult and they're going to be raising their own kids and they're going to be watching things that their kids are struggling with. And if they didn't ever get that language, they're going to be, number one, discovering themselves as they're discovering their children because that happens. And they're going to be frustrated that they didn't understand that about themselves when they're learning it about their kids because it would have made other things like in college and in work situations a lot easier. So you just kind of add a little bit every time something new comes up and grow with your kids. That is exactly what happened here. I had no idea (laughs) there was a term that meant highly sensitive person until I saw that my child as a baby was overstimulated and I started slowly learning about this and I'm like, wait a minute, that (laughs) explains a whole lot. Now I know why I can't be around crowds. I can't be where it's really strong smells. Okay, this is normal for me. And so now- I can avoid those situations and we're all much happier. <laughs> but, and we've talked about that with them, about um, just knowing yourself so that you can put yourself in, in the situations where you will thrive the best. Not that you can always avoid situations, but right. um, I think even knowing that if you're going to have to be in a situation that will be challenging, you can plan your downtime afterwards so that you're not constantly overstimulated. And yeah, so helping them to develop those life skills, whether it's learning the the language that they need to describe what's going on with them, uh, learning how to manage their emotions and their needs, learning how to find the resources that they need. Those are, that's all going to be so helpful for them. Yeah. Absolutely. I was laughing because you mentioned that, you know, planning downtime after, you know, overly stimulating experiences. And uh, at the house, we just moved a little bit less than a year ago. And at our old house, the pizza guy knew our co-op day because that was the day he'd be, he'd deliver pizza every Thursday and he'd be like, how was co-op today? What'd you learn? (laughs) Because mom was not cooking on co-op day. And there's no shame in that, moms. If you need to order pizza on co-op day or just on a Monday, do it. <laughs> oh, there are days we have eggs or cereal or something super simple because there's just, I can't add one more thing. No, <laughs> especially with differently wired children in your home. Yes, yes. So as we wrap up, I want to help the, the parents to just take away from this that you are capable you are your child's best teacher because you were given this child on purpose and that you need to um, give yourself and your child grace 
I Absolutely. think that kind of wraps up a lot mm -hmm. of what you've been saying. Yep, in a nutshell, exactly. And really, the only thing that I would add is make sure that your family unit is a team because you're going to need each other. It's so important, whether you have one child or 11, that you all are in it for each other because quirky kids are going to have challenges. And so knowing that their family members have their back and are there to pick them up or cheer them on is so, so crucial with these types of children. The phrase, give them some grace today, happens a lot around here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, if others, if the listeners want to connect with you further, I will have the link for the book list uh, that you have. We'll yeah. have that in the show notes. And how else can they connect with you? Yeah. So the best place to find my podcast and my site, um, and we have a brand new um, membership community for gifted kids, gifted, twice exceptional, and creative kids. Um, that has uh, social and emotional learning and creative thinking lessons. All of that is over on my site, RaisingLifelongLearners.com. And you can get to the podcast, the blog, all the resources, and the community with just a click of a button on the homepage over there. And we'll have the link to your website as well so that it'll be easy for them to just hop right over. So thank great. you. Thank you so much for being on here and sharing a little bit about your homeschool and your experience and just encouraging us to put one foot in front of the other <laughs> and continue to give grace. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fun conversation. <laughs>